as good as any we've seen in several years. Lacey bolts middle, still going in zone, and Eddie Lacey scores the first touchdown of the night. So, Don, we had one of those fantasy drafts over at your house the other night. Yes, we did. I won. You won the draft? Yeah, I did. I looked over everything, and I won. You finished second. You know what? ESPN uh, has a thing on their site, like you could do like a draft report card. Hated my draft. Really? It hated it. How the, o- the only person that had a worse draft was... Uh, uh, Carl? Carl, because he drafted two quarterbacks in the first three rounds. There, there was a guy in this league... Hello, everybody. How are you? Hey. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm Steve Bennett, Don Russ. Yes. There was a guy in this league in a fantasy draft we had the other day that picked Aaron Sproles technically in the first round. Now, in fairness, he had the last pick. Yes. But the fir- he said, I select Sproles, Sproles and Breeze. And Drew Breeze. So I guess, tech- I mean, you might have put it in the other way. I don't know what you did exactly. I don't remember. But as he was sitting, one of those picks, and it is a PPR. But even as the biggest Saints fan in the world, and even it with it being a PPR, I thought it was the worst, worst pick of all time. Sproles. Yes. Hmm. There were so many other ways he could have gone. I didn't hate that pick as much as RG3 with the next pick. Uh, the thought of the, someone that will always do something weird like that at a draft is, well, I got a quarterback to trade. Well, what are you going to get that's better than what you would have had at the third pick there? Didn't he pick Bradford, too? <laughs> Or no, I picked Bradford. Somebody did. I picked Bradford. He picked two Rams at one point because he picked Austin. I don't remember who he packaged him with. But I remember like three different times he picked two guys that were teammates. (laughs) It did happen that way, yeah. He picked Breeze and Sproles. Then he picked Austin and another Ram. And there was another time, I think. But yeah, he really struggled. His draft was not yeah, I good. Think, I, think his, I think they gave his draft an F, and uh, my draft got like a C plus. I probably got an A plus. You got an A, I believe. An A, yeah, I rule. Uh, another guy in our league did get an A plus. Damn. Although the comment on your league or on your draft was like everybody's playing for second place or something like that. Really? Yeah, they liked yours. I told you I won. <laughs> I was just being a jerk. I didn't even really think I won. But yeah. I told you. Uh, welcome to Season 3, Episode 24 of the Sportscasters. It's August 27, 2013, and it's an exciting day here because we try to we strive to bring you the best guests every week. We do everything we can to book legit guests, and one guy that we thought was pretty legit that we've worked really hard on for a long time is Andy Staples. And being just a few days away from the college football season, Andy Staples is going to join us today to preview that college football season. Also on the show today is Joe Lemire, who does baseball for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. We're going to talk to him about baseball. Hopefully you will take the time to check out last week's podcast, which is actually only a few days ago now. We did it on Thursday to accommodate Mike Tirico, who made his second appearance on the podcast, something we're really proud of. 
And actually, Don, we got a really nice email from the executive at ESPN who helps us with that. Yeah. The guy who we thought we completely ruined our reputation <laughs> with uh, thinks of some things that Richard Deitch said on the other podcast. Well, I said, I guess. Richard Deitch kind of goaded me into it. But yes. That looked really ugly a year ago. And here we are getting an email saying we did a great job with Trico. So hopefully you'll check that out. You know what? He, it, like you said, saying what you already said, that guy listens to our podcast. He does when people that he booked are on for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, does, he does good work. We got there. it up later, and he was all over me wanting to know why right. I wasn't up yet. Right. Yeah, that you was my fault. I mean? That yeah. was my bad. And, uh, but you can check that out at our website, www.sports-casters.com. See what the uh, bigwigs at ESPN thought was pretty good. And because of that, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Trent Dilfer on the podcast. Oh, sweet. So that's pretty cool. We'll finally have a Super Bowl winning quarterback on the show. That's right. So Dilfer's going to be on, I think, probably around the last week of September. I probably could have got just about anyone. Uh, I probably could have got Schefter. I mean, like when you think about ESPN people, and this is maybe something you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. We have a really good relationship now with the guy who controls all the people who talk about football on any of ESPN's platforms. Hmm. So we had their number one play-by-play guy. Gruden comes to mind, but I always, I've always been told Gruden's just not going to do it. Right, And he's like, don't worry, you're not going to see Gruden anywhere else because Gruden just doesn't do it. Right. He's like, if Gruden did it, you could get Gruden, but he doesn't. So who else do you want? And we've gotten Schefter before. We didn't love it. So I'm not in a rush to get Schefter again. And we have a um, – never mind. I'm thinking of somebody else. I was thinking of Aaron Schatz. Yeah, we could get him if we want. Well, I was going to say, we, but we have our we have our stack guy. Right. We usually go to Kerry. Kerry Burns, right. But we've still had – shots a couple times right right to get a different stat perspective right but when you think of people who cover the sport for espn is there a guy dilfer came to mind as one that'd be really fun so i said can we get dilfer next and he said yes right you know but i don't know who's the guy that said someone else who's the guy nfl network that i always wonder about berman i've never asked about yeah yeah. but i mean people hate berman right uh, like, do our listeners want to hear Berman? Should I try to get Berman? I don't know. I, I don't think in an interview it's going to be the theatrics so much, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, you're not going to get the people hate the the character. That I don't Chris think he's going to answer a question. Back, with back, 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 right? I mean, I don't think. I yeah, I wouldn't think so either. But uh, I think the guy himself is probably liked. I mean, I could think I could put it together a pretty interesting interview with him. I think. Who was the guy that was at uh, the NFL Network, and he was kind of their Schefter? Lachnamphora. That's who I was thinking of. That, he's now with CBS, and we've had him. Right. No, no. CBS. That's why I was going to say it's not that we necessarily had a problem with Schefter. We just had that guy in Lachnamphora. Yeah, because we didn't love Schefter, and we had Lachnamphora anyway, and we liked him better. And then when Lachnamphora moved on, the new guy was Lombardi, and we had him too. Right. Now he's with the Browns. He's the general manager of the Browns now, so we're probably not going to get him anytime soon. I wonder if this is interesting right now. I have no idea. Let's <laughs> move on. So... Anyway, if there's someone at ESPN, this is the point. Right. We put ourselves in a position where we're pretty good with ESPN right now. And I asked for Dilfer, and we're probably going to get Dilfer. Is there someone else there I should ask for next? What about any of the fantasy guys? Is that his world too? I don't know about I don't think so. I think there's a separate fantasy division. I would guess too that most of them have their own podcast, so doing another one might not be that interesting to them, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I think we kind of blew it with Matthew Berry. He's been everywhere. We probably should have got in on this book thing. Yeah, maybe. And I didn't. I bet hmm. he's going to probably shut down a bit because he's done so many yeah, things. Yeah, he's been on the move. Yep. But anyway, so we're going to have an interview with Andy Staples. We're going to have an interview with Joel Lemire. 
I think we're going to do on five on fantasy, but we might do something else. We'll see. We're going to end with one last thing. We're going to start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Football. Yep, one more week. Yeah. So uh, first thing we've been doing every week this week, or this uh, the last few shows, has been football. Uh, this week is no exception, and unfortunately it's a lot of bad news for my team and your team. Next week, though, when we're talking, before we get to the bad news, we'll be talking about games that are going to be played. That yeah, and that's count. phenomenal. Right. Yep, uh, your fantasy drafts will finally mean something because you'll get to see your guys in action soon. Uh, but for the Bills, EJ Manuel, uh, we know he was hurt. Uh, Kevin Cobb, real sad. I know nobody in Buffalo was really pulling for this guy necessarily to begin with because they wanted to see the new, the new hotness that was EJ Manuel out there running around throwing the ball. But uh, with Manuel going to miss some time, Kevin Cobb was we we had to see what he was going to do, and unfortunately he suffered another concussion in their last preseason game. And TJ or TJ Graham, Tim Graham from the Buffalo News and ESPN. Another one of our buddies. Yeah. Said that Cobb was uh, missing answers to questions like, where are you and what's your name? He was struggling with stuff like that. So it's, it's sad. Yeah, The Cobb a, thing is sad. Yeah, it went from, I don't want to see this guy do well because I don't want him, I don't want, I want to see the rookie, to I just want this guy's head to be okay because he's got a, he's a real life person and has right. to like live a life after football. And I mean, they're talking about this being career, career ending. So, he hasn't gone that far yet, I guess. No, I'm sure. But he they're preparing would. for that possibility, right? The Bills are also preparing for the possibility, and this is the quote, or I'm paraphrasing that right now they're preparing as though, because a lot of people have taken that as He's Jeff Tool is the starter week one, which would make history because he would be the first undrafted, undrafted rookie rookie to start week one, right? Since the common draft era in 1967. Uh, which I guess in itself is somewhat interesting. It's more interesting to me than Matt Leinart, who they just signed playing. So That, to me, is deep insurance. Yep, and then they traded for some other guy I'd never heard of. To run, which I heard was to run the scout team so the other guys can get reps in case they need them. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's your Bills news. And actually, the, the worst Bills news of the week, if you're not Kevin Cobb, it was uh, Stephon Gilmore's wrist is broken and he's going to miss eight weeks. Uh, which translates to about five or six weeks of the NFL season. And that, Sucks. If the Bills are especially weak anywhere on defense, it's in the secondary, particularly at corner. Uh, they were already talking about how the second corner was going to be a glaring weakness, and now they're going to have to start two of those guys for six weeks or so. So that's no good. Your Saints also got a little bit of bad news. And so did the podcast because we were going to have Will Smith on, Real. believe it or not. Will Smith was going to be on this show. And now he's not because Done. he's not doing anything now because no, he's, he's injured. He's out for the year. And I thought it was going to be kind of cool. We don't do a lot of athletes. We just do them here and there when, for some reason, we think it might be cool. And I thought this might be cool just because we've never had an active Saints on before. We've never even – well, we had one active NFL player on, right? Kirk Morrison was active when he was on. He was still a Bill at the time. Right, yep. So we have had an active NFL player. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to say a couple things, a couple points about the Bills stuff. And I kind of made this point to you. I don't know if you bought it or not, but two things. First, 
I love the way Marone is handling this. Today he said, very candidly, look, if the doctors say to me, the quickest EJ can get on the field is the Thursday before the season starts, I probably don't want to play him Sunday. Right. But if the doctors say to me, we can get him on the field Monday or Wednesday, I'll see how he does and probably consider it. And I love that because it's just so candid and you know you would never get that from most teams, even though it gives no team any advantage at all. Yeah, it's ridiculous. What teams protect against every team should be willing to give you this much information because it doesn't hurt them at all but i love that Marone and is it's interesting it. it's very interesting it's way more interesting than what belichick would say if it was brady if it was brady we would hear he's day to day we'll see yeah we know nothing second point is matt flynn is a guy who's in this league now who's essentially been beat out by russell wilson and Terrell Pryor in back-to-back <laughs> training camp <laughs> right. battles yeah, one of those is more sad than the other. One day, the Packers got a first-round pick for him because of essentially what he did one day at home against the Lions. And he almost beat New England once. Wasn't He's yeah. played very few games right. before that trade. But one was like a five-touchdown day against the Lions right, right. where his stock really skyrocketed. If Jeff Toole has a good game, the Bills might – or two. Let's say he plays two weeks and he looks decent. He's suddenly a commodity. He might not be first-round commodity, but he might be a really decent... You might be able to get, say, a third-round pick for him, say a fifth. Something way above what they invested in him, which was nothing. Right, yeah. He's definitely been a bright spot. Of the, uh, not a guy you expect much of, but now he might get thrown into the fire. And in a season when they were essentially not going to have... Probably... What was your best case going in? We win seven games. Maybe we win nine. Maybe we're playing for a chance to make that last spot towards the end. That's like your best case for this team. So so what if your point spread went from 5 to 11 against New England? Yeah, I think people were starting to be a little more optimistic with what they saw out of Manuel. And he looked good. That was and, reasonable optimism. And before Gilmore got hurt. Now I think I think I was looking at the over-unders today in preparing for next week's show, and I think the Bills are at like 6.5 or something. I wouldn't touch that either way. That, that seems that's, that's right on the nose, that number. But, yeah, so Will Smith out for the season for the Saints. Uh, Tough for me to get too upset about that. As I told you, he wouldn't even be on the team right now if he didn't take a massive pay cut. Right. I almost, in the beginning of the year, thought there was no chance this guy is going to be there anyway. And he was a pretty big member of the historically, statistically worst defense of all time. Right, right. So I'd rather have him than not, but it's better him than Breeze. Sure. Uh, Tony Moiaki, the tight end for the Chiefs, uh, the other – substantial injury this week he's out indefinitely with a fractured shoulder whatever whatever indefinitely can mean and also uh, a couple of cases of players getting in a bit of trouble this week uh we had a nice week last week which i don't where i don't think we reported any of that but jets running back mike goodson suspended four games for substance abuse and vikings fullback jerome felton three game suspension for substance abuse uh come on guys you know what I mean? <laughs> this stuff is ridiculous. Mike Goodson's a guy that can never stay healthy. He finally gets healthy, and now he's suspended. So not not good. The last thing I have on the NFL is that Jerry Rice is leaving ESPN. All right. Yeah, See you I later, mean, Jerry. yeah, not huge news. He greatest, arguably the greatest player of all time in the NFL, but he just uh, didn't have a big enough personality. I don't think for I can't remember him ever. Like I can't remember sitting down and watching him. So no, they know. said the only article that uh, or the only, his his biggest, maybe most controversial or memorable moment was I guess when 
he called Randy Moss out on calling himself the greatest receiver of all time, something along those lines. And like you said, I, I don't remember that either. So Right. Uh, let's see. A couple things. Uh, Dewan Harris from the Packers, a running back, is going to miss a season with a knee injury. Oh, that's right. I did hear that. Yeah. Um, there's that. Um, uh, Blaine Gabbert was named the quarterback for the Jaguars. Did that happen last week? I can't remember. I don't know. There was some other. Oh, no, Brandon Whedon was named the starter last The Broncos week. have officially said that Ball and Hillman are going to share running back duties in a backfield committee. They're not going to name a true starter. Those guys are going to split, I guess. Hillman fumbling three times through three preseason games, though, can't help that. So We've had some kickers kind of bounce around, but that's yeah. basically where we're at. All right, my second thing this week. The worst team in baseball is about to report the most profitable season in history the houston astros uh are set to make around 99 million dollars this year they're the worst team in the league right by record yeah i believe yep uh the astros are 43 and 86 as of this article the worst in the majors of the teams that have taken the field since 2005 none have finished with a worse winning percentage than houston so just a garbage team that's making a ton of money. And I don't have a lot. I mean, there's there's an article on Forbes if you want to read more about this. I don't have a ton to say about this, but I will say um, I tend you tend to fall into two camps. If you're like a baseball purist, uh, you tend to love the Yankees or maybe the Red Sox. But that the people that like the Yankees tend to be like either New Yorkers or just guys that are into the history of baseball. I tend to fall on the other side of that sometimes and think that I, I don't like that the team is allowed to buy championships. Uh, I know that's not always the case. I know the Yankees aren't very good this year. Uh, it's just a side of the fence I normally fall on. That said, I'd much rather have an owner of a team that is spending a lot of money because all he wants to do is win than have a garbage team make record historically world record profits for a baseball team that is garbage uh this is much much worse to me i don't know if he's considered to be a good owner or not jim crane do you know much about jim crane nope but uh that's almost the pr guy should be getting a lot of uh props for this but the owner should be embarrassed that that's terrible that he's gonna make a record amount that's that's horrible uh i'm glad they have great fans but that's terrible Speaking of baseball, you literally could not have come up with worse possible news for fans of the New York Mets yesterday. No. They literally got, like, let's say someone said to me, what's the worst possible thing that happened to the Saints today? I would say Drew Brees being out for a significant amount of time. Right. The worst possible thing that happened to the Mets is Matt Harvey, the guy who started the All-Star game. Total bright the spot. The stud, yep. the future of their team, the best thing that's happened to them in for however long is going to probably miss the 2014 season because of a tear in his elbow. Oh, he's going to miss next year, too. Yeah, it's wow. happened so late that he's probably not going to be back next year. If he is back, it would be – usually it's a one-year injury. So, I mean, wow. would the Mets probably terrible bring this guy back right. next year? We're going to talk with Joe Lemire more about this. they got a second pitcher, too, that's supposed to be an up-and-coming kid, right? Yeah, I mean, they're building. Right. You know what I mean? But this is going to be a huge blow, devastating for Mets fans. And our buddy Jeff Passan is actually writing a book about this topic, the pitching arm. Mm. And he's followed a guy named Daniel Hudson, who, if you didn't hear the interview we had with him a couple weeks ago, is really candid and incredible 
about the things that Daniel Hudson's been through. And uh, this is just another name on the list of young pitchers. And we've seen this handled so many different ways. You know, we've seen jobber rules. We've seen all kinds of different things. And it just, the arm is the arm, I guess. You know, we've seen job rules. We've seen Strasburg get shut down. We've seen all different things. And it all comes back to this. So, I don't know. Sorry, Mets fans. Yeah, I mean, is he a hard-pitching kid? I know Strasburg is. Is is Harvey pitched hard? Like, or is he a... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Greg Maddox was able to make a career until he was an older guy because he was real precise and he could pick a guy apart and everything. But it seems like most guys now throw hard. And I guess your arm is only meant to take so much of that. My last thing this week comes with a clip. Comes with a very quiet clip. All right, anyone that grew up in 1987 remembers the theme song from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Someone who may not be as familiar with the theme song to Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is, as it turns out, Mike Tyson. Uh, According to the international news, which I'm not overly familiar with, Mike Tyson had just recently played the game for the first time. the 47-year-old Mike Tyson said he had never played the game, but that changed recently when Fox Sports producers bought the game to Tyson in the green room before an interview and had him play it for the first time. And then they show Tyson saying, come on, Glass Joe. Uh, and he was trash-talking him, and he's take that, Glass Joe, right up your... And then they bleep it out. So, uh, yeah, Mike Tyson, 47 years old. Game came out in 1987, plays it for the first time. That's so weird. They never played yeah. it. <laughs> I wonder if he got, like, was he just ripped off? Is this uh, one of them Don King ripped him off? Real quick pro tip. We're recording this podcast as we're about to do the listener draft. So, Don, you might want to answer because it starts in three seconds. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting too. That'll be my last thing is uh, how hard it is to do a a draft while. All right. My last thing. Uh, It's kind of going to peel back the curtain and update a couple stories. The Andy Staples interview that we recorded to preview the college football season was actually recorded, I think, last Thursday night, so about four or five days ago. And at the time, we weren't clear on a couple of stories, but we did kind of talk about them. One was the Johnny Manziel story, and I guess the update there that I should pass along is that Manziel met with the NFL or the NCAA for six hours, apparently. We're still waiting on a final kind of resolution to that we're not really sure what's going to happen but we didn't know at the time about that meeting the other thing we didn't know was Oklahoma has named their starting quarterback and it's not the belldozer surprisingly oh. uh, they're going to go with a red shirt freshman instead so kind of interesting that Oklahoma decides to go not with the guy who had experience but with the red shirt freshman who's from Texas um, I guess Trevor Knight, I guess he's a four-star recruit. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but that's where we're at. So we're going to take a break. We're going to get the Andy Staples interview. Just remember that those two things uh, weren't exactly talked about at the time. So we will, uh, we will be back.
Our first guest today lives in Gainesville, Florida, and was a member of the 1996 Florida Gators National Championship football team. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. He covers college football for Sports Illustrated, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Andy Staples. What's up, Andy? How are you doing? Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. We hunted this down this one down for a while. We're pumped to have you on. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, apparently very difficult to pin down in uh, in early August. But <laughs> now that's one of those deals where eventually I get to come up for air, and we've we've now hit that point. Well, all right. So there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to because we were just talking a little bit off the air about how apparently. I was living under a rock for a long time, reading your columns in Sports Illustrated and not realizing that you went to Florida because it took me an hour before the uh, the podcast to put together enough clues to realize you went there. And the reason I f- figured it out, I narrowed it down to two schools, and the way I figured it out is because, and you were talking a little bit about people kind of, when you cover college football, everyone thinks you're you know against their team. And I guess that's kind of that way in sports. But I read a column you wrote. And I don't know if you think this is your best column, if people say it's your best column or not, but it was unbelievable. And it was actually a letter that you wrote to your mom after Alabama yeah. won the national championship against yeah, Texas. That, that is my favorite thing that I've ever written. Oh, it's unbelievable. Just an unbelievable piece. I almost I like almost got up and said, did this get in Best American Sports writing? If not, whoever the editor was that year made a mistake because it should have. But I um, don't think I submitted it because uh, I thought it was a little, I don't know. I thought it was a bit self-indulgent, but... Uh, yeah, maybe, but you know, but you know what? I, was... I had always wanted to to write about because my mom didn't live long enough to see me write for Sports Illustrated. And that would have she was a high school English teacher, high school librarian, so words and and writing and reading were very important to her. So that was one of the things that I didn't get a chance to show her one of my stories in Sports Illustrated. So maybe she saw that. Yeah, that was a that was a powerful piece, and you know, it was interesting because you were talking a little bit about how people will judge your work based on the biases they perceive you to have. Did that, did you, did you buy a lot of street cred with that article from the Alabama fans? Are you like, (laughs) no, it's funny. It's the other SEC fans then assumed I went to Alabama (laughs) and I was like, read the thing. It makes it very clear that I did not go to Alabama. I went to Florida because it says it right in there. Yeah. All you have to uh, do is look. It's funny because that's one of the, it's, it's kind of a joke among us, us folks who cover college football because it doesn't matter where you went to school somebody can turn that into the reason you hate their school when you write about them. So the easiest way to figure out where I went to school, by the way, is take whatever the most recent story I've written, go to that particular school's message board, <laughs> and they'll rip me because I went to Florida, or they'll rip Stuart Mandel because he went to Northwestern, or you know, Dennis Dodd because he went to Missouri. Well, they all went to Missouri. But right. some of us went other places. You know, it's interesting because we have Stuart on all the time, and I always apologize to him because it seems like every time I have him on, it's because I want to get his take on college football scandal X. You know, and I said, <laughs> one of these times I have to reach out to you because there was like a good game played. Like, I'm sure you like to talk about something besides who took money from an agent or, you know. Well, I'm, I'm pretty frustrating to talk to when it comes to college football scandal, whatever. Because most people want the hot sports take of, oh, it's so terrible that they're taking money. I think it's great when people take money. <laughs> I think the rules are stupid. So I'm more than happy when, when guys get paid. What kind of uh, coincidence was it that you have a huge feature in SI about 
Johnny Football, and it's like literally I'm reading that article one night, and then it's like the next day, all of a sudden, his eligibility was in question. Well, it's pretty interesting. It, I don't think it had to do with my story or with the Ray Thompson feature that, that ran in ESPN magazine about the same time. I think it was something that was in the works already uh, because the NCAA had apparently been alerted to that stuff in June. Now, my question, and I think Wright probably that's the same question too, is, you know, when we were reporting our stories, the Manzels already knew about all this stuff, and we didn't. Yet, in both of our stories, and in both of our dealings with the, the Manzel family, they made such a big deal about the autographs. <laughs> if you know it's a, an issue, why do you draw attention to it like that? That, that just baffles me. And, and I, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to why they took that particular tack, but in hindsight, you look at it and you're like, why in the world would you even bring it up? What is the if reaction? We're sniffing around about it. Right. What has the reaction been from the family post those articles? Have you gotten a backlash at all? Like, are they looking for an easy blame or anything like that? Or no, 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 no. I, I mean, they've pretty much shut it down. They're not talking to anybody right now until right. Smart. that NCA issue gets resolved. But no, anything like that. It just it, it just seemed curious to me looking back. Like, why would you? Because it was a, it was a major theme in both stories. And I can I can't speak for right, but in mine it was something that they brought up that Johnny brought up himself, <laughs> and really seemed passionate about. And I just want, and now I'm looking back, I'm like, that why earth did you bring that up? Because the week it came out, it, the the ESPN story came out where people were accusing him of taking money. It was the same week that both of those stories had come out, and so I, I can't help but wonder if someone who had heard about this this stuff, had said, had read one of those two stories and said, wait, he's complaining about this? And then called Darren Ravel. I just, I wonder, because if I knew that somebody was looking into me for this, I wouldn't bring up the topic. Right. But that's just, that's just me. It, it, it's, it's strange to look at in hindsight. Just, I don't want to get too into it because I do want to talk to you about football because it's just kind of more interesting to me. But do you think this What's guy's <laughs> exactly? Do you think this guy's going to miss time? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's weird because there haven't been a lot of uh, been a lot of leaks. Yeah, it's been tight. either camp since all this broke, and that suggests to me that the NCAA doesn't have anything they can pin on it. So. If they don't, and if Texas A&M is confident that they don't, then they'll play him. Plus, I, personally, I think the benefits of playing him outweigh the risks, unless they have something, you know, smoking gun type evidence. Because remember, the NCAA is, is in a pretty bad spot right now, PR-wise. Right. Jay Bill is embarrassed. If they do something to this guy, and look... Johnny football is not for everybody. There's a lot of people who dislike it. But I think there's a lot more people who dislike the NCAA more. And so if they don't have absolute hard evidence that they can get him with, I find it very hard to believe that they'll do anything because it'll just make them look worse. Is there an easy out for both sides here with those first two games kind of being cupcakes? Could we see some kind of resolution to this where maybe you, he just sits you, out the first two games and he's ready for Alabama then? You could you could see a flea bargain. Yeah. I, I could 
I could definitely see something like that. And, and the NCAA will claim they don't do that, but they do that. So now, if they do that, it will make them look worse too, though. Because if you're A.J. Green, who had to sit out four games for selling jersey for a 1000 bucks, you're going to be pretty mad if, if they're giving people flea bargains. So it's, it's going to be a... Uh, it's sort of a no-win situation for the NCAA. I, unless they have, you know, videotape of someone handing Johnny Manziel a bag of money with a dollar sign on it. I, I don't know what to do. You know, I sort of, like, wonder, like, how anyone even plays big-time college football anymore and doesn't get in trouble. I mean, you know, everything, there's a picture of everything. There's a video of everything now. We know everything immediately now. And it seems like, the rule. I mean, who understands all this? Does anyone that go? My brother plays college hockey at Yale. They just won the national yeah. championship. Okay, it's the first national championship, pretty much in school's history. I mean, there's alums around every corner wanting, to, you know, to give you this or give you that or do this or do that. It's like, does anyone even know? Like, are, do these kids understand the rule? I mean, there's some obvious. Yeah, they, errors they know. Made, they but, know the the basics of the rules. Right. So, as much as I dislike the rules, if Manziel did this. He knew he was breaking the rules when he did it. I mean, it, it, that's that's an obvious. That's one. not a right. question, <laughs> right? So they know what the rules are. Better question is, do they care? Does it matter? Because if I'm one of them, I'm sitting there thinking, why should I follow the rules? I'm watching everybody else get rich every December. I read about all the the coaches, you know, negotiating bigger deals or bailing on their their players to go to another school. Why should I be left out of this? So I understand where they're coming from, but the fact of the matter is the rules still exist, so you are taking your eligibility in your own hands if you, if you do that. Uh, civil disobedience is probably not an effective defense at this point, though the way things are going, it may very well be in a few years. Well, we mentioned Alabama there. Let's let's try to get this back to the field a little bit because I, I do want to talk to you about college football before. Because like I said, it just we get so bogged down in this scandal stuff. But I'm in, I'm excited for the games and excited to see Alabama's you know building the dynasty. Saban's got the squad number one in the preseason again. I, 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 I think got, it's I think it's already a dynasty. I think yeah. we can we can pretty much give them that tag now. But who can challenge them this year? If it's not them this year, who are some squads that can maybe challenge them? And are we looking at another year where it's going to be an SEC dominate domination? Well, I think this is the best chance the other leagues have to break that streak sooner rather than later. Because once you go to a fourteen deal, then you're probably looking at two SEC teams in almost every year. So I think that this is this is a situation where. You know, yes, Ohio State or Stanford or somebody like that in a one-game situation can probably play with Alabama or with Texas A&M or with South Carolina or with Georgia, depending on who it is that comes out of the SEC, because I'm not convinced it's going to be Alabama. and I think they're probably the best team. But, look, if Manziel plays, that is a, not an easy game to win in College Station on September 14th. If Georgia's defense, which is very young, turns out to be good, and they can survive their first two games, there's not a lot of teams in the country that can handle them. South Carolina, let's say they beat Georgia in week two, they got the best player or the best athlete in college football to date in Clowney. Uh, Manziel's probably the best college football player, but 
at the next level clown, he'll be the best player. So you've got that. I mean, there's a lot of lot of good teams in the SEC, and that's the problem. Is if a team emerges out of that mess undefeated or with one loss, they've been tested pretty well. At least they've had a few games that test them. And the one game that they have to prepare for and they get a month to prepare for it is not going to seem all that hard. This is what you saw last year. Notre Dame was a pretty good team, but Alabama just dismantled them. Yeah, it was a smoke show. It's unbelievable. You look at the top 12, LSU's 12 in the country, but they're the sixth-ranked SEC team. <laughs> yeah, and they're mad about it, but look, you lose 11 early departures to the draft. What do you expect? You know, it's it's going to be tough for them to replace all that, and you've got to play against Alabama, and you've got to play against Texas A&M, and you've got to play Georgia, and you've got to play Florida. <laughs> That's a rough schedule. What's the second-best league right now? the Big 12 or the Pac-12. Okay. kind of depends on the day. The, the Pac-12 has the two elite teams sitting at the top. Oregon, Stanford. Oregon, Stanford. The Big 12 has five really, really pretty good teams at the top that aren't necessarily elite and in a given week could lose to a team that's not that great. And that would be Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, TCU, Baylor. I think any of those five could end up winning the league this year. So, you know, it, the, the, that's the thing with the Big 12 is, is they just haven't produced that elite team in a while. You had 2008 where they may have had three elite teams, but since then you just haven't seen that. Well, I'm sorry, Texas in 2009 went undefeated and played for the national title. Right. So since the 2010 season, they just haven't really produced that one or two elite teams that you have to compete for a national title. And that's the thing. I mean, if you want your conference to be in a national title hunt, somebody's got to be the best and somebody's got to be the worst. You can't have as much parity as you've had in the Big 12. In the Big 12 last year, nine teams with the bowl games. Other than Kansas, everybody could have beaten everybody on a given day. And while that's great and makes for a highly entertaining conference race, it does not make for a national title contender coming out of your league. Yeah, there was no defense in the league last year. I mean, you, it was very regularly, you know, I mean, the Oklahoma-West well, Virginia game. The, the no defense thing is a little bit of a misnomer. It's, if you run an up-tempo offense or you're trying to run 85, 90 plays a game, your defense is going to give up more yards and points for the simple fact that it's seeing more plays. True. Yeah. You're, you're moving fast, so your, your opponent's going to get the ball more and they're going to get to run more plays unless your defense can, can make them go three and out every time, which is asking a lot of a defense that you're putting back on the field pretty quickly. So, you know, the, the fact that they give up a ton of yards is a little bit of a, is a little bit of a, a you know, on this number, look at the yards per play, and if you do that, some of the defenses, like Oklahoma and Texas were just really bad on defense last year. But Oklahoma State was pretty good. But they still had some games where they're, you know, they're giving up 400 yards a game. But look at what they're gaining on offense. Now you picked Texas to win that league. I think today even that column ran on SI.com. What is it about Texas of those five teams that you mentioned that you think gives them a little bit of an edge? They should have more experience and better players. They should. Now, here's the thing. 
I've overrated Texas just about every year. And I'm not very confident in that day. I'm really not. Because if you look further down in that, that Big 12 preview, the coach on the hot seat I have is Matt Brown. Because it's basically they should be able to, to win the Big 12 and become a national title contender again with this group. They're that experienced. They should be that athletic. But if they can't, then it means there's probably no set of circumstances that Mac Brown is ever going to get them back to where they're supposed to be. Because if he can't do it with this bunch, who's he going to do it with? So that's one of those deals where it's sort of boom or bust for them. I, I can't really see a middle ground. Bob Stoops doesn't want to name a starting quarterback, but I mean, Blake Bell is going to be the starting quarterback, right? I have no idea. But all the stuff coming out today was that Trevor Knight will be. So, uh, hmm. you know, that's the thing. When they close practices down like that and nobody sees what's going on, it's it's really hard to to make any sort of bold predictions. So I just say let's wait until he says it. Yeah, you know, if I was an Oklahoma fan, I'd be kind of nervous that Blake Bell hasn't been named the starter yet. I mean, I would think he would. I'd be more nervous that their defense looked like Swiss cheese most of last year. No, yeah, it was the worst that's Oklahoma that. defense I've ever seen. I watch their Oklahoma offense football, will be fine. So. It doesn't really matter who plays quarterback. They're going to score points and gain yards, but they're going to stop somebody. Yeah, that might, it's not going to be any easier this year, I wouldn't think, than it was last year. So that could be difficult. Yeah. You know, we had Notre Dame come from pretty far back in the pack last year and end up in the national championship game. Is there a team that is maybe down the rankings a bit or maybe even not in it yet that you think could emerge as a national championship contender, a serious one this year? I don't know. I think, I think we got it pegged fairly well. Now, I'm the idiot who left Oklahoma State out, and that was intentional. It wasn't an oversight. I just I think it's it's going to be hard for them. Uh, new OC coming from Division Two, new defensive coordinator. Even though he was already on the staff, uh, some key guys to replace on offense. I just think in that league, it's going to be hard for them to keep playing at the level they have been. But you know, if I'm completely wrong about them, because they're they're more experienced on defense than they have been in a while, then I could be really wrong about them, and they could be like a national championship type contender. Um, you know, I, I think Michigan State is due for a bounce back. I think they played elite defense last year. Their offense was awful. If their offense can be somewhat less than awful and their defense can be as good as it was last year, they can very easily win that division, even though it's a pretty tough division because you're sitting there with Northwestern, Nebraska, and Michigan, which should all be pretty good. But I think the way they play defense, if they can do anything on offense, they got a shot at doing something special. We talked a little bit earlier about Johnny Manziel, and assuming he gets on the field, I, th- I think I think this is right. He's going to be the first guy since Bradford to have a chance to defend the Heisman Trophy. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, because Tito was here before Bradford. Right, and Bradford yeah. came back, but his senior season was injured against BYU and then injured again in Texas game, and that was pretty much it for him that year, so yeah. not really much of a defense. Uh, what, what, how do you, you looking at this at all yet? Are there some guys on your radar, some guys you think – what kind of chances do you give Manziel in repeating that? It seems like, I mean, as a freshman, he should have a couple chances maybe to, to redo this. Well, he's probably going for probably, this right, shirt. Right, because he's a red be, shirt, right, red be, shirt, right. Be one thing. But he, uh, you look at their schedule, he's going to put up some pretty big stats. He's going to put up stats, I would imagine, fairly similar to last year if he stays healthy. Uh, they have an easier schedule. They don't have to play Florida this year. They don't have to play South Carolina. They don't have to play Georgia. 
So they got the best draw of the East than they could possibly get. Um, you know, they got to go to LSU, but like we said, LSU's defense has got a lot of reloading to do. They've got to deal with Alabama. But for the most part, they play teams that they should be able to score a lot on. And he's got a lot of talent around him. That line is probably just as good. You know, they lose Luke Jokel, but Jake Matthews is, is another first-round tackle that they moved over to the left side. Cedric Ogwood was playing guard last year. He's the right tackle now. He may be a first-round pick. Uh, they've got a four-headed running back group that I think they're they're pretty excited about. And then they, you know, Mike Evans led them in receiving last year, 6'5", 225. They got a 6'5", 225-pound freshman in Ricky Seals-Jones who might be as good as Evans or better. So offensively, they're just fine. The, the thing with them is they may have to win some shootouts because their defense has a lot of question marks. Do you vote for this thing? The Heisman? Yeah. yeah. Do, I was just thinking about when we were talking about repeats. Did you vote for it the Barkley year? That was the year that Jason yeah. White had the second chance at it, right? I was surprised he didn't win it. I, I guess maybe he might have split votes with Peterson that year. Maybe if Peterson didn't exist, maybe he wins it twice. But I was just yeah, wondering. I, was, I, was, I didn't start voting until a couple of years ago. The first, the first year I voted was, uh, was Mark Ingram, and I, I voted for Ndamukong Sue, number one on that one, because he was the best player in college football that year. Did you vote for Johnny last year? Yeah. yeah. He's the best player in college football. Best player in college football. So you don't look at things like, well, he's a freshman, I'm going to wait, or he won it last year. Care. You just vote the for the The way I vote player. for the Heisman is if I am building a college – if they're having a draft, I'm building a college football team from scratch, and the only data set I'm allowed to use is that year's stats. Who do I pick first? And last year, that would have been Manziel. The Sportscaster's finishing up with Andy Staples from SI.com. Really excited to have him on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Andy underscore Staples. Find his work on SI.com and in the uh, SI Sports Illustrated, the magazine, which I always get. Do you, do you read SI on, on your iPad? I, I, I love it. Like I think the magazine well, translates unbelievably to the iPad. But my four-year-old stole my iPad. Oh, no. Claimed it as his own. Mm. So when my iPad is not running the National Geographic Dinopedia for kids, I occasionally do read SI and GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair on it. But sometimes I have to go back to old-fashioned paper magazines because I can't pry it out of his hands. Will, right? Will has taken over the Will, iPad. That, yep. is, that is him, yeah. That's from the article he, that I read earlier. Yeah, he is, uh, he, he is very determined once he's looking at those dinos that he's going to go through all the meat eaters and all the plant eaters, <laughs> and you're not getting that thing back until he's memorized every one of them. Has he been to any Florida football camps yet? Uh, no. No, 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 no. He's, no. A, he's a little little guy. He's, uh, he's played t-ball. That's about it. One last thing with you today. You're not the only big gator in the sports media. Uh, Aaron Andrews is another one. You guys work together. You know, you, you're following what she's going to be doing a lot of college football this year as well, right? Yeah, I mean, she's been doing college football. That's, she, uh, she's definitely the biggest star that came out of uh, University of Florida at that, that particular time. Uh, although it was a pretty good group there in the, in the journalism school at the time because uh, you've got Andrea Adelson, who's at ESPN.com, and you've got Israel Gutierrez, who writes for ESPN.com, and you can see him on Around the Horn and all those shows, yeah. sports reporters. So, it, you know... That that bunch did okay. Uh, Jen Brown was, was in school at the time. I think of who else uh, hit it big. And, um, you know, it was a uh, it was a pretty good time for 
for the student media there. We did all right for ourselves. It seems like that when you know, like we do the fight songs for the guys that come in, we play the same fight songs a lot. You know, Syracuse is one that comes up. Missouri a lot. Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Vanderbilt. We it seems like we do a lot. Um, yeah, but Sy- Syracuse is the one. Oh my god, over and over. Michigan. It seems like a lot all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, and Yale. Why? Well, I have a lot yeah, of yellies on them. I, you got to look. A lot of times you have to look. Now, now Mizzou has the good J school. Syracuse has a good J school. At Florida, they had a really good student paper, uh, the Independent Florida Alligator. When I went there, the 35,000 circulation paper, I mean, you learned everything you needed to know about the business there. You didn't even have to major in journalism. You could have done something else, and you would have learned what you needed at the paper. And, uh, and you know, in Michigan, a similar situation. Uh, the Daily is a fantastic paper. Um, North Carolina works that way. Um, there's some really good student publications out there, although it's funny because breaking into the business has gotten so much different than it was when I was in college. And I graduated from college, let's see, 13 years ago now. So now, you know, you could work for a rival site or a 247 site. Um, when I was a beat writer at Florida, uh, there was a a student named Laura McKeeman who started out working for the rival site and she wound up working for Scout and now she's on TV for Fox. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing how how many avenues there are now because you could start your own thing. You know, if your blog picks up traction, you get a lot of Twitter followers, you can do it that way. It's a lot more, I think it's more of a meritocracy now. You don't have to go through the same old boy network that, that everybody did back in the day. Yeah, I mean, we we started this thing out of a closet. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know that's the thing. I mean, it, I like it. I like it because it rewards the people who do good work and who work hard. And it's not a case of, oh, I knew somebody, so I got this job, which is a lot of what it used to be. Now, if you don't produce, you figure it out pretty quick. Was there any particular reason you decided to do this spot now? Because I mean, we we couldn't nail you for a while. You know what I mean? And did what? I <laughs> no, I I, uh, I get a lot of radio requests every day. So usually, if that's I hate to say, the old boy network. If I know the person, then I probably am going to say, yeah, okay, that's fine. But uh, if I don't know you, then it's a little different. So we got to check you out, vet you properly. I was <laughs> listening to. Uh, Adam Carolla's podcast the other day, and he had a uh, had Chris Hardwick on. The, you know, those guys are probably two, the, the two most successful podcasters on earth. Right. And uh, <laughs> they were joking around about, you know, do you do you always know what shows you've agreed to be a guest on? And Adam said something to the tune of, "Yeah, sometimes you get on the phone and you realize it's like a Nazi appreciation podcast, <laughs> and this isn't quite what you signed up for." So, yeah, that's one of those deals where. You have to you have to vet it properly, but uh, Jeff Passan was our you, uh, first. You came guest. highly recommended, so Jeff Passan was our down. Jeff Passan was our first guest, and I I mean I owe the guy the world because like we had no, we had nothing, you know what I mean? Like he literally came on, there wasn't really even a show, you know what I mean? It was almost like yeah. Well, Jeff Passan agreed to talk to us, so let's record it, you know what I mean? And <laughs> but well, uh, and Jeff's the best, so oh yeah, he's great. Well. Yeah, and he's been on you know. No, by the way, times, the, the rumor so. that we all know each other is true. We did. Yeah, no, we we figured that out, and you know it's nice because people are starting to know us now, and 
And uh, I, look, I'm really, I'm really glad you decided to do it. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the time. This is even more than I, I think I only asked for 20. We're at 30 now, so I want to let you go. But uh, thank you so much for doing this, and hopefully we can, we can chat again another time. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette Ocho Cinco, TJ Cushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. I want to thank Andy Staples for making his debut on the Sportscasters podcast. Yet another NCAA national champion to appear on the show. We're creating quite a bench of former NCAA champions in many sports, Don. Yeah. We just we don't have a football player yet, do we? Yeah, Ed Cunningham and Andy Staples. That's oh, two. that's Jesus. I'll go back to sleep. Right. Uh, we just finished the listener draft for the Sportscasters Listener League, and I won. So I'd like to congratulate myself yeah, on winning the draft. But uh, no, it kind of thought made me think of something I wanted to talk about real quick, and this is not going to be a long five on fantasy because we're more. Last looking forward to next week's edition when we're going to do starts and sits again and start doing stuff that you can use uh, in your leagues from a week-to-week basis. But one thing I was kind of curious about, Don, is now that you've done a few drafts, is there anything that's happened in them? Any trends? Any players maybe that are going further than you expected? Players lasting longer? Is there anything happened that you can tell the listeners who are getting ready to do a draft? I still have two drafts left. One that I'm doing for a friend and one I'm doing for myself. Yeah, I got one Thursday. Um, I tend, I mean, there's guys I tend to be reaching on a little bit, like a Zach Sudfeld or maybe a Josh Gordon. So I guess I'm willing to reach on guys I think that have some high upside, even though they may not necessarily pan out at all. Uh, Any other trends? One thing I've noticed is that a couple times I wish I would have trusted my gut. Like, for example, one time I was going to take Chris Givens. Okay. Which isn't a big deal. I didn't get him, but right. I felt like it was time, and I said, you know what? I can probably wait. And sure enough, he was gone by the time I drafted next. And we always say this that if there's a guy you want and you think you're in the last chance to draft him, you might as well do it. Right. I mean, I should have taken him. I don't know who I got instead, but probably not anyone I liked as much as Chris Givens. Sorry, I was going to sneeze. <laughs> Another thing that I've kind of noticed is that. The skill, there's like a, a spot like in the 6th, 5th, 7th round, 5 to 7, where it seems like you're really reaching on guys, and then it almost catches up. It seems like there's a couple of those rounds where there just seems like there's just no value out there. Yeah, right in the middle it gets a little weird, especially with, like I want to say, wide receiver, because running back after the first three or four rounds almost feel like there's nothing, and then you're just You're grabbing... going to probably draft a backup running back at some point. Right. I think I have in all my leagues. Yeah, I drafted Ben Tate without owning... Arian Foster, just because I wanted a guy. I figured he's maybe the most high upside of the backups. But with wide receivers, you get past maybe the, I don't know, where your tier ends with the Dwayne Bow or maybe Antonio Brown, like in a PPR. And there's just a lot of guys that feel like they're all the same. And then, like, once those guys are drafted, then there's a lot of guys that feel like, okay, these guys almost seem like a value here. Like T.Y. Hilton or Miles Austin seems to go late a lot. Uh, like I said, I keep getting Josh Gordon, who I think could be a good value. Yeah, after don't let suspension. those short suspensions scare you away. I think guys like Gordon and Blackman still have a ton of value. You're going to get them at a bargain. Right, and I mean, this is almost directly quoting the guys that uh, 
fantasy focus, but you're not drafting those guys to play in those weeks anyway. They're going to be your backups, and by the time the buys roll around, they'll be coming back off their suspension, and they'll be rested and whatever. Another thing I wanted to mention was that got some guys that were huge value earlier in the drafting season, it's correcting itself. Like MJD is an example of a guy yep. who maybe if you drafted early in August, you might have gotten in the fourth round. Those days are like long gone. Like he's go, being appropriately drafted now. Yeah, MJD is a guy like that. And there was someone in the, our listener draft we just did that I remember making that comment on too. Yeah, you have to kind of adjust yourself. You're not in, you're not in early August anymore. It's late August now. And some of the guys who were value before – are not value anymore. Someone like D'Angelo Williams probably should be moving up a little bit. I know Jonathan Stewart's injury might not be as severe as they thought, but he's way low on ESPN. And oh, I can't remember who the guy was. There was someone that keeps going way up. Jeff Tool. Yep, it's that's got to be it. Someone's going to start him out there, right? Like in some free, some league really or deep league yeah. or a league where you start two, two quarterbacks. quarterbacks. Yeah, sixteen team, two quarterback league. But. uh is there any other point, preseason fantasy points you want to make? Because next week, when we do five on fantasy, we're going to be naming guys. We're going to be in regular season mode. Hmm. I still don't think you should be drafting a kicker until the very last pick. And I saw people doing it. I, that's another reason to be at your draft. If you leave your draft to auto-pick, and there were a few people in our listener league that got auto-picked, it's going to do things like draft you a kicker in the 12th round when you want to be taking them in the 18th round. So... Don't let's don't auto pick. <laughs> be at your draft and have fun. Remember, fantasy football is supposed to be fun. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with Joe Lemire. Our next guest is from Richmond, Virginia, and is a graduate of the University of Virginia. Today, he is a writer for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com, where he covers Major League Baseball. He is making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Joe Lemire. What's up, Joe? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you on today. Hey, we were just uh, talking to Andy Staples a little bit before about college football. Are you, uh, do you follow the University of Virginia's football team? Or did well, you... it hasn't been a whole lot to follow in the uh, decade or so since I went to school there. Right. Were you, were you there with Aaron but... Brooks? Were you there in like the Aaron Brooks era, or were you pre-Aaron Brooks? Or No, no, actually a good bit afterwards. Uh, good I guess, bit after. uh, I should say a decade since I started there. Uh-huh. I was concurrent with Matt Schaub. I actually covered him pretty closely for a few years. Uh, it was actually a, a pretty impressive group of NFL talent. Uh, Heath Miller was there, Shaw Ferguson, overlap one year with Chris Long, um, and, uh, and a few others, I'm sure I'm forgetting. Maud Brooks. So you actually covered some of those guys down at the school when you were working for, like, the paper or the radio over there or whatever? Yeah, I worked for the, the Cavalier Daily, the Virginia student paper. And uh, of my four years there, you know, basically covered the, the number one or number two or three guy on the football coverage for three of those years. So I uh, probably the sport I covered the most, in fact. Do you follow those guys now? Like, are you, like, Always checking out, like, oh, I got to see how Shab does today, or yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Shab probably more than the others. You know, even though uh, you know, really nice guy, maybe not the most uh, you know open and expansive in terms of uh, his personality and his answers when dealing with the media, but uh, was always nice to, to sort of work with, as it were, to, to cover on a on a close basis. And uh, yeah, 
Yeah, always checking box scores afterwards for sure. So this weekend college football starts and the next weekend the NFL starts and Major League Baseball is going to be finishing up their season. And so I've been kind of thinking about this for the last couple of weeks as I've been impatient for football and, and watching baseball every night. And I look at the standings every day and I'm just kind of thinking like, what's left in this season? You know, like, is there, you know, the last couple of years, I feel like we've been so spoiled, especially two years ago with that day, you know, game number 162 and how crazy everything was. But it seems like you can make a pretty fairly accurate guess at who's going to be in the playoffs at this point. Well, I think the National League is pretty much settled. Um, uh, they're, you know, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Cincinnati, they're still jockeying for the NL Central crown. And obviously with the new format last year, that avoiding that one-game playoff for the wild card is a big deal. So there, there still will be some meaningful games, but l- with less perilous consequences for not coming through. I think the American League, however, is going to be a, a real treat for a lot of, uh, a lot of us. Uh, you know, sure... You know, Detroit's you know going to win the AL Central, but I think Texas and Oakland are going to have a nice battle in the AL West and the AL East. You know, you've still got four teams um, that are very much in the thick of it. Um, and that wild card race, you know, as, as I look at it right now, you know, if the playoffs were to start today, Tampa Bay and Oakland are the are the wild cards, but Cleveland's only two games back, Baltimore's two and a half, and the Yankees are four and a half. Um, so I think we are going to have some really compelling races uh, down the stretch of the American League. Are you ready for Cabrera versus Trout 2.0? <laughs> I uh, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near where it was last year. I do think you know there are certain metrics such as you know wins above replacement WAR um, that show that Trout uh, and Cabrera are once again in that same kind of you know tete a tete. You know that head-to-head race that are going to keep them very close, uh, but I think what Cabrera is doing offensively this year uh, is is going to change the landscape of voting. I, I do think you can make a compelling argument that Trout um, is just as deserving as he was last year, and we should be having that same debate again. But I do think there's a little bit of fatigue, uh, you know, in terms of the discussion about it. People have made their points; not a lot has changed in terms of the criteria of all these advanced stats versus the traditional stats. Uh, but I also just think that you can make the, a very compelling case that Miguel Cabrera is having the best offensive season since any hitter um, since 2004 when Barry Bonds had you know, one of those remarkable seasons that kind of broke the game practically. Uh, he was reaching base so much and slugging so much. Uh, but if you look at you know, one of these advanced stats, which you know, really favors Miguel Cabrera's OPS plus, his on-base plus slugging, but adjusted for league and ballpark. Uh, and he, his number right now is right around 200 when the league average is 100, which means he is twice as good as the average major league hitter. I mean, he's having a, even if he probably won't win the triple crown because Chris Davis will probably outpace him in the home run department, uh, I, I do think... Um, Miguel Cabrera is having a much better season than he did last year. You know, it's not a, an outrageous statement for me to say that in today's day and age with 24-7 coverage, there's a lot of outrageous statements made, and one that I've been seeing quite a bit lately and by some people who are not often prone to making outrageous statements is that this opinion that Miguel Cabrera might be the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. Where do you kind of stand on that and his progress, at least in progressing towards that, if at all? Uh, I don't think it's outrageous to say that he might finish his career um, in that discussion, but it, I do want to temper it by saying it's a little early right now. 
Uh, I mean, but what's remarkable is that, you know, it feels like Miguel Cabrera's been around a long time, and, and he has been playing, this is his 11th season. But, I mean, he was when he helped the, the Marlins in 2003 to win that first World Series title for that franchise, he was only 20 years old. So he, he's been playing 11 years, but he's only 30. And, you know, sure, moving over to third base is a bit more demanding than when he had been at first base. Um, but, you know, there's no reason to think he's going to wear down and not have remarkable seasons for at least another four or five years. Uh, you know, Prince Fielder's kind of entrenched at first base for a long time with that contract in Detroit. But Victor Martinez will soon be off the books, allowing more ability to DH and keep him fresh. And uh, I, I do think that Cabrera could sustain maybe not what he's doing this year, but what he did last year which is still, as you know, a phenomenal season, that could still be something that he does on an almost annual basis for four or five years. And then all of a sudden you're looking at numbers very similar to what Albert Pujols has done and what a number of other great right-handed hitters have done over their careers. I mean, he's already at 364 career home runs, and if he keeps hitting about 40 a year for another four or five years, all of a sudden he's creeping up on 600, um, and then you're talking about some really lofty elite. Uh, territory. You know, that lofty elite territory right now in the home run section is kind of starting to get crowded by guys who have either been proven to be under performance enhancing drugs or under the suspicion of it. And I don't want to get too much into that. I want to talk about baseball, but it seems like it's another season where we're going to remember it mostly for what happened with the biogenesis scandal. And instead of getting into all that, I just wonder where you think baseball's progress is in terms of getting to a point where we don't have to spend chunks of the playing season discussing this. Are they getting any closer to cleaning this game up? Are they getting any closer to a season where a guy like Chris Davis can go off like he had and everyone just doesn't assume that he's enhancing himself in some way? Yeah, I think the game is moving in that direction, but I do think it will be a few more years. I think the most notable development um, has been the change of stance you know, somewhat by the union, where, you know, it, they, they, you know, enough players are saying we want a clean game, we want tougher penalties. I think you're going to see a lot of conversation this winter, some real earnest dialogue about whether there should be stiffer penalties, uh, and the fact that there are there's enough vocal support amongst the players for this, as opposed to you know kicking and screaming like we don't want anything more than what we have. Uh, I really think that's uh, a very a monumental change. Um, that's really going to sort of move things forward over the next few years. So I, I do think progress is being made, but we're not there yet. You know, a couple of years ago, we had the Yankees come out with this thing called Jabba Rules, and it didn't exactly work out. And then last year, we seen Washington shut down Strasburg in the middle of what was a great season for them. And you can maybe argue that that didn't really work out. And then we've seen some players just just pitch their careers. and I mean, right now we have Daniel Hudson, who's going to have a second Tommy John and try to come back. Brandon Beachy's having a heck of a time coming back from his, waiting to find out about that. And then yesterday we got word about Matt Harvey. What do you, what do you think, with all this that's gone on in the last few years with pitchers in their arms, what kind of changes, if any, do you see teams and organizations making to try to protect their pitchers? Or is it just one of those things where it's like, you know, the human body is just the human body and it's going to kind of do what it wants to do? Yeah, I think you're going to see teams continue to uh, explore what they can do in terms of, you know, innings, in, uh, increment and uh, improvements each year, um, you know, to, to limit it in a way that seems to make sense and keeps guys healthy. And then, you know, you've talked about pitch counts. Um, I mean, all of this has been studied, and I don't know if we're seeing a huge change in terms of uh, pitcher 
preservation. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of this is the fact that pitching is an unnatural act for the human body, and guys are still going to have injuries. Um, I think the biggest change of the last 10, 15, 20 years or so has been in the the, the medical aspect of it, that surgeries, you know, something like Tommy John. I remember speaking to Dr. Tim Kremchek, a renowned sports orthopedic surgeon. He's the Reds team doctor. He's one of the you know, top three or so Tommy John um, surgeons in the country. I mean, I believe the number, if I'm remembering correctly, was that about 98% of professional pitchers will get back to where they were after Tommy John surgery. And sure, they're going to miss a year um, in going through all of the arduous rehab. But the fact that, you know, guys come back, we're seeing more, we're probably, I haven't seen the data as to whether we're seeing more or less you know, arm injuries, I would guess it's about percentage-wise about the same as it sort of always has been, but I think more guys are getting back to where they were. We're seeing fewer career-ending injuries, at least when it pertains to the elbow. You know, the, the shoulder, uh, you know, I think you're still going to have a, a lot more difficulty of guys coming back, and, you know, maybe someday we'll get to a point where, you know, a torn rotator cuff can be repaired the same way as a Tommy John with the same kind of success. You know, we're not there yet. Um, you know, obviously, as much money is in this game, you're going to continue to see expensive studies, you know, and tons of resources and put into research to try to find the best way. Um, but, uh, you know, without an MD or PhD at the end of my name, uh, I'm not really the guy to, to, to advance any sort of theory just yet. You know, you wrote about on .com about the Braves and the Braves bullpen and some of the injuries that they've went through and been able to overcome it. And also, we mentioned Beachy and his injury, and, and Jason Hayward broke his jaw and is going to miss some time. The Braves still have 78 wins and a huge huge lead in the AL East, which I, I think it's around 13 games or something like that still at this point. Is there any reason to be concerned if you're a Braves fan that maybe the injuries are mounting up to a point where even with the great organization they won't be able to sustain? Well, I do think... Uh... You know, the anyone associated with Atlanta, uh, you know, in the in uniform or in the front office or just a, a fan in the area, you know, you're certainly going to remember 2011 where they blew. I think it was about a nine and a half game lead right, in September, uh, and 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 it didn't make the playoffs. But I, I do think you know that was a once in a generation kind of collapse, or maybe even more so. And I, there's no reason to think that's going to happen again. For starters, it doesn't look like Washington's going to do anything to to try to claim it from them. You know, the, it required some you know major. Uh, you know, the Cardinals went on that huge tear in the second half in order to beat them in 2011. It doesn't look like any team's going to do that here. Um, plus, there are there is a little bit more of a cushion than there was. Um, and I do think that one benefit of having raced out to this lead is that you can kind of rest guys a little bit more. Um, you know, certainly the, the Hayward injury hurts, but, you know, it does, in a way, it provides a few more uh, plate appearances for Evan Gaddis to play left field. Um, you know, there's just there's a bit of depth on this team. Um, they even just added Freddie Garcia to, to maybe make a few starts, um, you know, if Beachy's going to be out for a long time. I mean, this is a, a Braves team that's just, you know, just deeper and better equipped to sustain this sort of thing. Um, and if Hayward... Um, you know, if that four to six week timeline that was reported, uh, it turns out to be accurate, uh, he's going to be back right around time for the playoffs. And, you know, when the minor league season's over, it's harder to get the rehab games to get back up to speed. But, you know, I'm sure with instructional league, they're going to find a way to, to, to get him back. Um, I, I do think this 
is still a, a really dangerous team, um, and uh, I wouldn't be too worried if, uh, if you're in Atlanta. I don't want to jinx them, but are you, are you as excited as I am to see what PNC Park is going to look like during a playoff game? Hopefully they get to host one. The only way they wouldn't, I guess, is if they totally collapse or if they have to go on the road in the one-game playoff and, and don't win it. But it seems like there's a great chance, better chance than ever before in the history of the ballpark. So what, what do you think that is that something that you kind of look forward to as a, a baseball fan? Yeah, absolutely. I'm already starting to angle. Uh, I'd love for them to get that 82nd win while at home. Um, just to see what that is like. So, I mean, I, I uh, my my brother's in-laws are all from the Pittsburgh area, and so I know this is a, a small sample size of you know anecdotal, but I know how excited they are just to get to 82. I mean, I think for a lot of people in Pittsburgh, you know, that's the huge number they're looking for, and anything else this season might even be gravy. Um, you know, but the Pirates certainly shouldn't sell themselves short. I mean, this is a really good team. You know, they, I think they certainly wish they had an extra bat or two in the middle of that lineup, um, but the pitching and defense has been so outstanding um, that if they get hot at the right time in the postseason, you know, they, they could make a little bit of a run. And I, and I do think everyone's been waiting long enough for it that PNC is going to have just an outrageously great atmosphere for all of those games. And, you know, certainly uh, a lot of writers, sort of national writers like myself, who get to to go and cover a lot of these postseason games and you, know, you can sort of to some extent pick and choose or at least lobby editors to get sort of choice assignments. I, I certainly uh, will be trying to call in a, a few favors if at all possible to get to Pittsburgh. If everything works out and they get a chance to kind of set their rotation, who do you think would be the guy they would throw up either for a one-game playoff or for a series in game one? Uh, definitely A.J. Burnett. Burnett. I think yeah. he's been... Experience. Yeah, he's got the experience. You know, he won that World Series in '09 with the Yankees. Um, I think he can. Uh, you know, I know he Liriano's also had a, a a pretty great season. But with Liriano, there's always been a little bit of volatility in his results. Um, you know, just recently he had a start where he gave up ten runs, uh, if I remember correctly. So even though, if you look just at season numbers. You know, Burnett and Liriano are, are probably close to each other. I, I definitely think A.J. Burnett would get that ball um, in game one. Uh, you know, Jeff Locke's kind of faded a little bit down the stretch, and as great as Garrett Cole will be, he's not there yet. But, you know, with those four names, you have a pretty good rotation for, for the postseason, you know, pending Wandy Rodriguez's return as well. So uh, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be set up for... Uh, you know, a nice run if they can get into a, a meaningful series beyond just that one-game playoff. The sportscasts are here with Joe Lemire from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. You can find him on Twitter at si underscore Joe L E M I R E. Just kind of finishing up here. I know that I'm excited to see what playoffs are going to be like in PNC. Uh, I'm excited uh, to see if the Rays can make another run. What are, What are some of the things going forward here that you're lo- you're really looking forward to see play out? Um, well, you know, I think uh, you know, if you, starting out west to, to see what happens with this Dodgers team. I mean, you know, forty-two and eight, you know, hadn't happened in you know however many decades. Uh, but like, you know, you can't expect any team to sustain you know an eight forty winning percentage, of course. But you know, what happens from here? Do they? you know, cool off a little bit but remain one of the best teams in baseball or do they return to how they were playing in April and May? Um, I think that's a team that, you know, when hot is can be as good as anyone and right now is meeting all the lofty expectations from, from the off season. Um, but you, you just sort of 
wonder how sustainable it can be just because of how ugly that start was. Um, you know, I, you know, I think we already touched on the, that AL p- playoff race. I think will be pretty great. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think the, the Chris Davis sort of chasing. Uh, you know, Chris Davis is someone who thinks that the clean record is 61. Um, you know, whether he has a, a shot of getting there, uh, I think will be another uh, interesting sidelight to the to the end of the season. Yeah, he's at 46, right? Uh, I believe that. I right. think that's right. So. I, It'll be interesting to see if that if if he did hit sixty two, what the what the dialogue would be after. You know what I mean? Like how many people would be kind of championing that maybe outside of Baltimore, and how many people would be like, ah, come on, it's it's not really it. You know, it'd be that'd be a really interesting side note, especially with everything that's went down this season. Yeah, the uh, I, I do think most people will, uh, you know, sort of say, yeah, you know, it's not really the record. And uh, Jeff Passan of Yahoo wrote an interesting column. Uh, Around the time of the All Star Game, when which she pulled some of the All Stars about what sort of would what they consider the home run record, and I forget the exact numbers, but overwhelmingly, you know, it was Lance's seventy three and not Maris's sixty one. Uh, but even still, you know, we haven't seen sixty home runs in quite a while, uh, and we haven't, you know, I know Batista hit fifty four a few years ago, but we haven't had a season with two guys topping fifty in a while, and both Davis and Cabrera seem like they're heading there. Yeah, he's uh, at 43. But yeah. It, yeah, so I just think uh, you know the, the the home run chase is going to be uh, another compelling part. So I know we always do this in the beginning of the season, and it's, it's real crazy, and it even seems crazy now, but given a 130-game head start, who do you think is going to be there at the end of October playing for the World Series? Well, I was uh, asked at the, the All-Star break, uh, to reforecast uh, all, all of this for for the magazine, and there are uh, a few things in there that I'm proud of, um, such as you know Texas perhaps making a big run and, and winning that division, um, and there are a few uh, predictions that I'm not too proud of, which is Washington overtaking Cincinnati in the wild card race. Um, so my uh, my track record is no better than than anybody who, who makes these kind of predictions, um, you know. But at the time, I, I had St. Louis over Texas. In the uh, in a reprise of this 2011 World Series, and you know, as long as that still remains mathematically possible, I feel like I should uh, hold myself, uh, you know, to that prediction. Um, but I, I do think Tampa Bay, Atlanta, LA. I mean, I think you have some teams that could make some real significant runs, um, you know, once they get to the postseason. Uh, you know, and then Detroit, of course. You know, I, I can talk. It's one of those. I can talk myself into any team, but since I put it in print. St. Louis over Texas, so I'll stick with that. And plus, I mean, you can't be too hard on yourself because it's baseball. I mean, you hit 300, you get in the Hall of Fame, right? So, I mean, you just you <laughs> threw out two. You're at 500 right now, so you're looking good. I appreciate that. I know Deadspin did a uh, ranking of SI and ESPN pundits, uh, I don't know, maybe sometime last year, uh, and, and no one had a very good uh, <laughs> success rate. So uh, it, it, it was nice. It was a reassuring sight to see. That uh, there there uh, wasn't anyone uh, blowing us uh, blowing us away. Any big magazine or website features we can look forward to? Or I know you guys are usually pretty tight about it, but I always ask anyway. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, a, a few a few projects in the works, uh, but not knowing when you know each one will run and the possibility of things getting delayed a while. Probably not, probably not ready to <laughs> right. to reveal anything yet. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this, Joe. Really appreciate it. All right, you got it. Thanks for having me.
All right, we want to thank Andy Staples and Joe Lemire for being on the podcast today. Make sure you check us out next week for our super mega ultra big NFL preview show. Still working out who's going to be on that, but I promise it will be good. Hopefully we didn't blow all of our bullets before the preview show. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. But I'm pretty sure like Damashek's going to be on. Right. I'm pretty sure Deitch is going to be on. So that's phenomenal right there. So, I mean, even if it was just that, that'd be pretty good, right? It'd be real good. All right. A uh, couple things to remind you. Send us an email to sportscasters at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.sports-casters.com. And hit us up on the Twitter, at sports underscore casters. Uh, one more thing for me today. I've been thinking a lot the last couple of days about the Bills quarterback situation. And what a bummer it must be. To think you have this guy who looks really promising, and then he just wakes up one day and his knee's swollen, and you get him taken away, and you know you really haven't had a guy since Jim Kelly. I think they've had ten quarterbacks since then, and nine of them have been really bad. And the other one was Doug Flutie, but for some reason he never really got a fair chance here. And then you got this other veteran who's not very good, and he gets hit in the head anyway. So you ended up with this undrafted guy, and everything just seems really bad. And it made me think of how fortunate I am to be in the middle, or maybe even not the middle, but maybe towards the latter part of the Drew Brees era. I remember many years as a Saints fan thinking, oh my God, Billy Joe Tolliver is really starting at QB for us today. (laughs) Or did Aaron Brooks really just throw that pass backwards? Or all of the other disastrous things that happened. And it just made me realize since 2006, Drew Brees hasn't even missed a game because of injury as a Saint. He's there every week, and he's awesome every week. Even when he's not awesome, he's still awesome. And it made me remember, like, going into this season, I, I have really high expectations for the Saints. And I've even been on record saying I'm going to be really disappointed if they're not 12-4, and four, if they're not 11-5. and five. But when I look at back at last season now, even with the 19 picks and even with trying too hard, I feel like I should focus more on all the great things Drew Brees did last year, all the touchdowns he threw, all the yards he threw for, setting the record on Sunday Night Football for the most consecutive games with the touchdown pass. These guys just don't come around often, and when they do, they're really hard to replace. I can't even imagine who it is that's going to line up a quarterback for the Saints when it isn't Drew Brees anymore, but I guarantee he's not going to be any good. He's definitely not going to be any good that as good that first game. Right? There's going to be a period of regression. There's not a lot of Steve Youngs in the chamber. There's not a lot of Andrew Lucks there. You know, So I guess the moral of all this is if you're a team like the Broncos or the Patriots or the Saints or anyone who's got their man back there, just enjoy it because there's no more important position than quarterback and there's probably no position harder to fill. Yeah, I know there were Bills fans back in the day that were – that always thought that maybe they would have won a Super Bowl had uh, Frank Reich been in one of those Or Gal Gilbert. (laughs) One last thing for me this week, and uh, I'm going to try not to sound like everybody else on the Internet, but Ben Affleck is going to be the next Batman. Uh, Boy, I, I don't hate Ben Affleck. I think of the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon duo. I prefer Matt Damon, and I can't remember anything... Ben Affleck was particularly great in. But uh, that said, I would have said there wouldn't have been a better Batman ever than Michael Keaton. And 
I was right. You think Christian Bale is better? I I do now. You do, yeah. yeah. I, I is it because those movies were better? I hate to be. jump in on it you like could this, be. but I'm really it, curious. It definitely could be that those movies are better, but uh, the first Batman is incredible. Was really good, and everyone usually says the Dark Knight is their favorite Batman ever. Right? Isn't that pretty much a consensus now? Probably yes. Here's the thing: in a perfect world, if they would have asked you, the biggest Batman fan I know, who the Batman would be, do you, who would you have picked? The the thing I question most about Affleck, and I guess I'd have to get maybe the female perspective of it, is he's supposed to be like this millionaire playboy. And I don't know that Ben Affleck can pull that off. He's had some hot babes, though. Yeah, yeah, I guess in real life that I that, mean, that does hold Right, up. J-Lo and who's he married to? Someone hot. Another Jennifer. Jennifer Garner. Garner. Garner, yeah, it's someone hot. Yeah, so... And he's rich Maybe, and I, I think... I I believe he's a comic book fan, so I, I think he would be is respectful. Matt, of Matt Damon is going to be Robin, like that's everyone's funny joke <laughs> on the internet, yeah. right? Um, I don't know who I would have picked. Maybe a guy like uh, I saw Ryan Gosling's name thrown around a little bit because he's a little bit like of that pretty boy type thing. I I don't know. This is following, like you said, this is going out and following Joe Montana. This is going out and following Dan. Marino. Who is the worst Batman so far? Clooney? Clooney. Yeah, yeah probably yeah. Clooney. And I, I don't even count the Batmans that came out like in the Right, you're not going to pick on Adam West or, or something, right. right? No, that's a totally different. That was what that was close like the campy Batman was closer to like what the Clooney Batman was. That was uh there's a YouTube channel called like the Screen Junkies and they pick apart movies like that and they do a really funny job of just talking about how terrible that movie is. Uh Batman and Robin, I think it was just called. But yeah, so I'm willing to give it a chance. I understand that they were going to keep the franchise moving because it's a uh, dump truck full of money that they have to put somewhere. Uh, fingers crossed, I guess. 